1: The Mike Avitier Show. Hope everyone had a tremendous Thanksgiving. Today is Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. And as always, there is so much to talk about in the world of sports. We got two weeks to catch up on, so there's a lot to get to. Let's get right to it. What is going on right now in the world of sports involves an MLB lockout. A lot of free agent signings in baseball leading up to that lockout. So we'll touch on that a little bit. NFL news. Always a lot of NFL news. NFL Week 13 is coming up. A lot of drama. A lot of very critical games in the standings, implications throughout. We'll talk about all that. I also want to get into a topic that kind of was overplayed for a while, but now we haven't heard about at all. Really, it's been it's been quiet for relatively quiet, I should say, for a few years. And I'm going to start with that PEDs now for probably a good 10 year period. We looked at guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. I'll start with baseball in particular the guys that played into their latter years performed at a high level. And then when we found out about the PEDs, it was, ah, no wonder dude could, can bash until he's like 40, 41 and lead the league in home runs or win Cy Young awards. Just performing at an elite MVP Cy Young level until they kind of decide, all right, we want to hang it up because I want to leave it a high note at 42 having won the World Series or gotten into the playoffs or winning another award. That's kind of what we saw for a while. And then that kind of tapered off. But that tapering didn't last that long. It actually kind of came back. I'm not talking about the PED use necessarily. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. That's kind of what I'm wanting to get at, which is we've got guys right now. And what kind of brought this on was Max Scherzer signing a deal at 37 years old. Three year deal, which is going to give him an annual amount of 43 million dollars. So Max Scherzer at 37 years old. And my guess is he probably turns 38 during the season. But I don't know that for sure. I'll look that up. 43 mil. Times three. So he's going to be earning 43 mil in his 40, 41-year-old seasons. Think about that for a minute. Tom Brady. He's approaching his mid 40s, winning Super Bowls, leading the league in critical statistics, performing at the highest level. And Scherzer, by the way, I'm not saying he wasn't worthy of it. I mean, if you look at his stat line, I mean, he was, he was a, a Cy Young finalist. Low ERA, low ratio, high strikeout totals, Tom Brady, high yardage totals. High touchdown totals, low INT totals, and most importantly, the Ws. The ring. How about Aaron Rodgers? Winning MVPs. 38 going on 39. Probably going to play until he's 41, 42, or who knows. So I think the question really is, How is this a case of modern science and medicine being able to keep these guys active? When I say active, like in the league, because before, yeah, you were kind of over the hill if you got to 35, and usually you were kind of your stats, stat line, and performance kind of showed it, kind of reflected it. You know, get to 35, 36, you know, now you're kind of like that old guy that's trying to hang on to yesteryear but is unable to, right? Think of like Willie Mays on the Mets, you know, that type of just like, okay, his stat line is nothing like how we remember this guy, right? And so many others. I don't mean to pick on the great Willie Mays. But he's kind of like one of the most glaring examples of probably playing a year too late. You know, probably should have hung it up a year prior. But there are countless examples, of course, in every sport, ranging from boxing to baseball and basketball, football, etc. Right, but now we're not seeing that. We're seeing a lot of examples of guys who are playing just as good today as they did during their prime years, which used to be kind of like, That 20, uh, 25 to 29 to 30, 31. That was kind of the prime range for just about all these athletes. For some like superstar studs, maybe even 24, maybe even 23, you know, like the Griffey juniors of the world coming up, you know, right out of high school, basically year in the minors. But for the most part, that was kind of the wheelhouse in sports. Definitely wasn't 35 to 40. And if sure as hell, it wasn't 40 to 43, 44, 45. So maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. I don't know. And I'm not accusing anybody of anything, okay? Because I don't know anything. I don't know or have any evidence or any indication of any assistance performance enhancing assistance any muscle recovery assistance that is or is not legal i i i I just i cannot say one way or another and now maybe you as the listener say well heck mike just by you bringing this up it's accusatory in of its own nature i say no it's not this is just a mere curiosity How is it that guys are able to play until this age before, like I said, when it happened, we marveled at it. But it quickly became obvious that these guys were using the help of PEDs, steroids, human growth hormone, etc. And mainly what those things did is, you know, because the argument was always, well, Barry could always hit. So he didn't need the PEDs and the steroids and whatever he did and the creams and all that stuff to be able to be a great hitter. True. He didn't. But what happened to the aging superstar before performance enhancers was typically along the lines of what happens to us naturally as the human body gets beat up over time, which is your body just can't handle it. Okay. 162 games plus playoffs times X many years, X many rebounds. You know, each body only has so many rebounds as a seven-footer in your knees, in your joints, in your hips, in your back, right? Only so many hits that one could take as a quarterback. Blindside hits, side hits where you can't protect yourself. Head-on hits. Scrambling for first down hits, slides out of bound hits. Just getting up and down. How many throws are in the elbow, in the shoulder, the rotator cuff? And so what PEDs did is they assisted majorly with the muscle recovery, with the overall health and fitness of the human body. It's almost like you could get in a car accident, get You know, a beat up back and neck, whiplash, take something and be fine the next day. That's pretty much what was happening. And so, yeah, it didn't necessarily help the guys, you know, learn how to hit. No, it didn't. Of course not. Or learn how to throw the ball or to pitch or to rebound. But the muscle recovery is second to none when you're using performance enhancers. Also, it does help stimulate muscle growth and muscle protects other body parts. Right? Even like for my back, I have a bad back. So, the first thing that they say when they want you to not take, you know, painkillers and stuff is you got to exercise and build muscle in the surrounding areas. To take off the pressure from the areas that hurt that way your muscles are doing more of the work and not the injured area not the flared up area so muscles are a form of they're the workhorse of the body right they do things that we don't even realize that they're doing in terms of protecting the body Plus, added muscle can allow you to hit the ball farther. There's no doubt about that. So when you look at it and add it all up, then it starts making more sense as to how Barry Bonds can play into his, you know, latter years and crush it. So I've made sense of that, and I get that now. But how do you make sense of the guys today? have guys backed off from investigating are these guys doing anything i just like to hear how they're doing it that's all because they're 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 doing it at, at a level that i'm marveling at and if they're doing it naturally which right now that's all i can assume is that they are doing it naturally then they get my respect and a round of applause, and my adjura- uh, i admire them. My adjuration, for doing what they're doing because it's remarkable. And when you're 37 and getting a $43 million contract, more power to you. I love it as an agent, as an NFL agent. I like it. It just means more years I can make money um, working with a with a player onto his latter years, right? So before my income maybe you know, got cut at 33 or 34, you know, now I can extend it another seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Heck yeah. I'm for it. I'm all for it. I'm just kind of wondering how come people aren't asking this question and, and looking into it, you know, may, look, maybe there's nothing there. Maybe that's why people aren't asking. I'm just, I'm just not sure. And I'd like to find out more. So if you have any thoughts on that, you can always call the show, Tweet us, email me. You have all of the information at Mike Abadir on Twitter. You could call the show, 1-866-472-5788. You can email me, Mike, at show.com. Okay, so I don't want to belabor the point on that. Um, seeing here on the uh, some of the waiver wire moves, the Red Sox get back Jackie Bradley Jr. I like that. I don't like that they shipped off uh, Renfro because Hunter Renfro had a baller season for the Red Sox. But they get back JBJ, and I think he's one of those guys that is uh, vastly underrated with his glove. He's got some abilities with the bat, but for whatever reason, he's only put it together in uh, short spurts where he's uh, really raked. Um, We saw that in the ALCS uh, during their World Series run in 2018 when they went on to... uh, beat the Astros Uh, it was JBJ I think he had like nine RBIs in the playoffs or something like that totally killed it carried the team offensively to the uh, World Series Um, and then Mookie Betts and company took over Um, so that's a a quick move Uh, mentioned Scherzer obviously led off with that spent a lot of time on that but there are uh, a a good number of deals that are getting done Marcus Stroman he signed with the Chicago Cubs so looks to me like the Cubs kind of uh, gutted out the um, the group of talent that they had that they developed to get to that 2016 World Series. Now they've cleaned house, got rid of them. So is this the start of we're back pursuing free agents and winning now or next year or or what? It doesn't entirely make sense to me, but. Three years, $71 million. Marcus Stroman, I mean, I guess you have to have somebody get you the innings. He's a good somebody. I like him. Uh, but is this the first step for a rebuild? Or what? what is the uh, motive behind the signing? Curious about that one. The Dodgers bring back Chris Taylor. He agrees to a four-year deal for $60 million. Uh, sources told ESPN's Jeff Passan. Good for him. I thought Chris Taylor was kind of an unsung hero for the Dodgers. He kind of was one of the few guys, him and Muncie, that carried the team in 2021 here. You know, the Dodgers were kind of enigmatic this year. They obviously underperformed. Uh, just look, anything besides winning a World Series was going to be underperforming. Uh, it's kind of funny to call a team an underperformer when they won, what, 106, 107, whatever it was. But I think to the casual observer, they had a fantastic season. I think somebody that kind of breaks it down a little bit sees that a lot of those wins were against the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Sorry, sorry, Dodger fans, but to me, I thought they were underwhelming, underimpressive. They had loads and loads and loads of talent. They had more talent than any other team in baseball by far. And heck, with that team, they should have probably won 120 games. <laughs> All right, so um, I. I think that number was a little bit more inflated and, um, even with injuries and stuff, look, Dodger fans, your team should have been in the world series and should have won the world series, but Hey, uh, and even when they had injuries, you know, what did they do? They went and got Max Scherzer. So, I mean, and, Oh, and they got maybe the best leadoff hitter, one of the better shortstops in baseball and Trey Turner. So it's not like, um, they were injured and had no other means for <laughs> winning games. So, uh, Diamondbacks, they grab the Padres closer Mark Melanson, two-year, fourteen mil, seven mil a year. I think that's a good deal for the Diamondbacks. Twins signed Dylan Bundy. The Re- Red Sox signed the ageless Rich Hill. Let's talk about another guy who who doesn't age. But at least this guy, he's not a power pitcher, so it doesn't <laughs> really, you know, uh, evoke any signs of. Uh, Anything fishy, but the guy's 41 years old, so he's signing a deal at 41. Again, we didn't see that get done. The Dodgers lose another pitcher, an important piece actually to the relief corps and uh, Corey Knabel. uh Baez, Javier Baez with the Detroit Tigers. That's an interesting deal. The Tigers played a lot better than people thought they would. He signs a six year million deal with an opt-out clause, according to Buster Olney, with the Detroit Tigers. So I think they're looking at their division and seeing, you know what, it's kind of ripe for the taking. You know, we can't let the White Sox get away from us. We got to keep it, you know, keep them kind of within reach, kind of like the White Sox did with the Twins. And we saw how quickly the Twins fell off a cliff. So maybe Detroit's that next team, next team up. Chicago White Sox, team to beat. Detroit twin, Detroit Tigers snag them at the top of the standings by the end of the year because they added on a little bit more talent to this team, which had already overperformed last year. That's not a prediction. We'll save my prediction show for uh, March, close to April of 2022 here. Angels bring back... Uh, Iglesias, their closer. Red Sox also signed James Paxton. Cubs add Jan Gomes and Clint Frazier. I know the Twins had made some, uh, excuse me, the Mariners had made some uh, trades earlier on during the period. We may have talked about that in the last show. Um, So a lot of activity going on. We haven't even reached the winter meetings, which will obviously have a different flavor this year because the owners just locked out the players last year. So we are officially in a lockout. We are 24 hours into the lockout phase. So that is the first segment. Stay with us. We will be back with more. We're going to talk some NFL and all the other hot topics in the world of sports right here on the Mike Abadir Show. Stay with us. We will be right back.
2: us on twitter at voice TRN. get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn
3: want to play the ponies and win at winning ponies we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys trainers and handicappers the Winning Ponies radio show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in.
2: Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog?
0: stimulating talk it gets those
3: synapses in the brain firing really fast
2: all the time the number one internet
0: talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to mike at themikeabadeershow.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Back for our second segment here. We just went over talking about a lot of stuff baseball-related, so we will move on from that, because I know that everybody here wants to listen to football talk. Football is king. The National Football League. How about these standings? What do you guys think of the standings? What do you think of where teams are at? Did you expect the Patriots to be the leaders in the AFC East? The Chiefs are back where they belong. How about the Titans? Seems like they wanted to assert themselves. They had the number one seed. They've lost two in a row. They're not eight and four. Still a great record without Henry. Tannehill hasn't looked very good. But the Colts are just 6-6. Six and six. People are talking about them being a possible contender and an upset special, are they? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm not very thrilled by any team led by Carson Wentz. Sorry, Carson. How about the AFC West? Every single team is above 500. Every sing- single team in the AFC North is 500 or above. How about the Miami Dolphins? Winners of four in a row. They were 1 and 7. They probably should have be Jacksonville and the Raiders at the least. Those are two games that they could have and should have had. That would have changed the whole outlook of things. They'd be 7 and 5 right now. They'd be competing for a division title. It's crazy when you think of the Fine line between having a good season, a bad season, or a great season. Literally it comes down to maybe a missed extra point, a miss a failed two point conversion. An errant throw on fourth and one. I mean it's really crazy when you think about it. You know, you you don't execute on two or three of those and you lose those games all of a sudden, you're five and seven instead of seven and five. You're four and eight instead of eight and four. I mean, it really, really comes down to execution on three or four plays a game. That literally is what it comes down to. A lot of people look at basketball and they're like, you know, it came down to a free throw or came down to whatever. And I'm always fascinated by that. You know, you had one team who had X many rebounds and another team who had one more rebound or one more assist. And that's how they won 108 to 107. Right, And you compile enough of those during the course of the year, and you're uh, under 500 team. You're on the right side of those, and now you're above 500 and positioning yourself for the playoffs. You do enough of those, even more of those, and now you are a division leader. And that's what separates, like I said, the bad from the good and the great. It's a real fine line. Miami Dolphins are a great example of that. I wonder if they're too late or not, but I will say this. I do think that they're going to reach 500. They've got the Giants at home and the Jets at home. Then they've got the struggling Saints and the struggling Titans. So they literally, they should win two two more in a row, the Giants and the Jets. Which would get them to five hundred. So they would be seven and seven with three games remaining if that were to happen. And it should happen. I don't think I'm making a crazy prediction, although in the NFL any given Sunday, you know how that goes. But right now they're five and seven. They were one and seven, like I said. They're one and seven and could be staring at seven and seven in two and a half weeks. So what would happen if they win two out of three to close out with the Saints on the road, the Titans on the road, and then they get the Patriots at home to close things out? So let's look at that. So if they finish, if they beat the Giants and the Jets, let's go with that assumption. They're now seven and seven. Let's say they beat the Saints eight and seven. They lose to the Titans. Now they're eight and eight. If they beat the Patriots on the last day to go to 9-8, it's not going to be good enough to win the division. But it's probably good enough to get that 7th seed, at least. Maybe even seed number 6. I don't know. The problem is, like I said at the start of this segment, is the whole AFC West is above 500. And the entire AFC North is either at 500 or above. That's going to be the main problem. Now, I don't know if how balanced the schedule has been so far to be able to get these teams. Maybe they're totally raking on the NFC or something. I don't know. I haven't looked at it that closely. But the only way that two divisions in a, in a sport out of four divisions are all 500 or above, um, and it's not really possible unless you're getting your wins somewhere else, and I'd have to assume that they are beating up on the nfc which does not have nearly the number of 500 teams in fact in the nfc east you have the cowboys above and the nfc north you have green bay above and the nfc south you have tampa above In those divisions that's it you don't have any other 500 teams and then the west You have the Cardinals, the Rams, and the Niners all above five hundred. Which, by the way, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but if you go back and listen to the NFL preview show, not only did I predict that the most playoff teams would come from the NFC West. Actually, I, I said that the entire division could go to the playoffs, which right now it looks like three out of the four teams will. The Seahawks looked okay, but they're on a three-game losing streak, and I think they've eliminated themselves from contention. I, and I, I don't even, I can't even begin to explain Russell Wilson. And I mean, yeah, they don't have a great running game, but I mean, they have great receivers. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but they can't put up any points. Maybe the running game is that dismal, you know, with Carson out, Alex Collins, DJ uh, uh, Dallas, and and company. Maybe they are just so inferior talent-wise that they can just sit back and tee off on the passing game. I don't know. I have not watched a lot of Seahawks games this year. But I digress. So in the NFC, you're talking about basically most of the league being well above, under 500, And I think that's going to be, like I said, the issue that the Dolphins are going to have. So... My guess is that most of t- these teams are going to be wrapping up their schedules the last five games with an AFC loaded schedule. So I think that should kind of um, separate some of these teams and the AFC. And we're going to see some of these teams that are right around 500 probably finishing below 500. That would be my guess. Unless it's just there's just so much parity that they all go, you know three and two, two and three in these remaining five. And then we're back in the exact same place. Dolphins can only worry about themselves right now. They can't score board watch or anything like that. They just have to win games. And I suspect, like I said, if they get to nine and seven, I think they very well can be a playoff team. Or excuse me, nine and eight. Still trying to get used to that 17 game schedule. If they don't, and I always talk to my because Walid we'll about this because he's a huge Dolphins fan. If they don't get to the playoffs, then to me, this is all a waste. Worst thing in any sport is to be like, if a team, if a sport takes seven playoff teams, the worst thing in a sport is to be the eighth team. Absolute worst thing. I'd rather be dead last. Honest to goodness, yeah, I don't get that excitement in Week 16 and Week 17. I don't care. I don't care about the excitement to fall short. The worst thing possible, you finish eighth, ninth, tenth. You just shot yourself in the foot. You didn't get into the playoffs, and you're not going to have one of the top draft picks. It doesn't get worse than that. So, and I'm not saying a team should tank ever. And I don't think that players ever do, by the way. I think management and coaching, not even coaching stuff, it's management. I think when they pull the strings and they try to do anything that they can to lose games by manipulating roster spots or a phone call downstairs as to who to play, who to pitch, who to sit, whatever. I think that does happen all the time. But players don't tank. There's no reason why any player would risk losing his job just to make somebody upstairs happy. These guys want to put up numbers. They want to perform. They want to produce. Um, So that, that does not happen in the National Football League or Major League Baseball. There's no basketball players that's intentionally missing free throws or layups or dunks or rebounds or assists or whatever. Everybody wants to win. Okay? Everybody wants to win. And so... The Dolphins are looking at a possibility of being that team that finishes eighth or ninth. I'd rather than lose the rest of their games. So why am I talking about the Dolphins? Like I said, because there are three teams in the AFC with winning streaks of four or more games. So in theory, they're the hottest amongst the hottest teams of football. The Patriots, they've won six in a row. They went from two and four. So they were two games below 500. At the one-third marker of the season. They're now eight and four. They've ripped off six in a row. Belichick is showing once again that he is the best NFL coach. Today, yesteryear, and the future, he's the best of all time. A and four, the Patriots are there. They've retooled, and they've come out real strong. Dolphins have won four in a row, and the Kansas City Chiefs have won four in a row. Media buried them. Fans were worried. They were three and four. God forbid. Team comes off the blocks with a slow start. Chiefs usually get hot late anyways. That's kind of been the MO uh, with uh, during the Andy Reid years is that their defense usually gets better as the season goes on. We've seen that in each of the Super Bowl seasons. So not at all surprised. they are now seven and four. They've righted their ship. they're now sitting atop of the AFC West which is where they belong, which is where we all thought they would be before the season started. So those are the three teams with greater than four or greater game winning streaks. In fact, the only other teams that even have winning streaks of more than one are the Ravens of one two in a row and the Bengals of one two in a row, Bengals sitting there at seven and four. I'm liking Cincinnati. I'm liking what they're doing. I'm liking their quarterback. I'm liking their receivers. Their running back is maybe the hottest, hottest running back, not named uh, uh, Taylor for the uh, Colts. Uh, Mixon is really, really stepping his game up to elite levels. He, he had a lot of baggage coming into the league. So good for this guy for riding the ship and for, Keeping his head on straight and having a successful season, a successful career, uh, I'm happy for the young man. Let's put it to you that way. Now, in the NFC, win streaks are even more rare. Washington has won three in a row, but they're still not at 500 yet. Tampa has won two in a row. And then the 49ers, they've won three in a row to get themselves back into this race. Interestingly enough, they've won three in a row, and the Rams have lost three in a row. And I remember that there was a point during the season where people had quickly jumped on the Rams bandwagon. I remember that seems like a while ago now, but it wasn't. It was just about a month ago. They were saying that the Rams were maybe the team to beat, that them and Tampa were the two teams to beat in the NFC. But the Rams, man, they've had a ter—they had a terrible November. They've lost three in a row. Niners have won three in a row. And they're now one game apart in the standings. That's kind of a surprise. I mean, that kind of shouldn't have been, right? I mean, Jimmy G and injuries and can't keep uh, the same running back on the field from week to week for the 49ers. But here they go. Now, they took a brutal hit in losing Debo Samuel. That guy, he's going to get paid, let me tell you. That guy has emerged. Him and Cordero Patterson might be, you know, the the best receiver, the best running backs in football, all in one. I'm obviously being fac- facetious here, but they've uh, they've both brought an element of a dynamic element, a, a diverse element, a Swiss Army knife element to their games. They're actually getting carries even though these are wide receivers and they're doing really well. I wonder if Tyreek uh, Hill could get involved in that way a little bit more. It would be interesting. I know he's a small guy, but he's the cheetah. Maybe give him some carries. See if he could do what Debo's doing or, you know, what Corderell's doing. I bet you some teams are going to kind of emulate that with uh, some of their players that have good field vision that can run side to side. Um, they're, they're not going to be great at – you know, breaking off tacklers and and doing things that maybe a shorter, stockier running back could. But the way you design the play is what it's all about now in the National Football League. It's all about play design, open space, spacing is very important. Putting yourself your team in a position to where if they execute and they outcoach another team. You're going to put your players in prime position to succeed. And that's what some of these teams are doing. The Niners have been really, really good at that. They've been super resourceful. You know, They have a, you know, a, a plus O-line with a minus quarterback and running back core just because they can't stay healthy more than anything, but are finding a way to put up a lot of points. They're scoring. They're scoring in bunches. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. They're, they're, you know, they're amongst, uh, you know, in the, in the upper tier in terms of points scored this year. So got to give a lot of props to Shanahan and that offense so far because they're doing things that they, they weren't expected to do better than the Rams, and they're doing things better than the Rams right now. So the story there is the Cardinals, though. They're 9-2, and, and they've been missing a couple of their best players in DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray kind of for a while now. They've been missing their top running back, Chase Edmonds, kind of for a while now. And they still have the best record in football. To me, when you have guys that come in and step in and fill the void and are able to find a way somehow, some way, even though it's not as pretty, even though it's not as explosive, even though it's not as dynamic— But they're able to get the W's and hold down the fort. That's a sign of a good team. So the Cardinals, it's no fluke. They are a good team. They have a good offense. They have a good defense. They have a very underrated defense. So underrated, they've actually given up the least points in the the NFC. No defense has yielded less points in the nfc than the arizona cardinals even though we look at them as an offensive team which they are i think they have the third or fourth most points scored in the nfc good formula right to be one of the top teams points for and points against that makes you super bowl contender right right out of the gate that's i think where they are so let's take our final timeout. we'll come back to wrap up the final segment with some picks and some additional thoughts. Stay with us. We will be right back after this.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers.
0: channel
2: find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn
3: streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voice
1: Final segment here on the Mike Abadir show. We've been talking NFL, we've been talking baseball, we've been talking lockout, we've even been talking PEDs and steroids somehow, able to sneak that into the conversation. If you are just tuning in, listen to the top of the show, I broke it down a little bit as to why I had that in my mind today. So we are a few minutes away from the start of week 13 in the National Football League. With an intriguing matchup between the Cowboys and the Saints. Must win for the Saints. they got to win this game to keep their playoffs hopes alive. They were off to a really nice start. They were 4-2 and two this year, and they were humming with Jameis Winston. But my man got hurt, unfortunately. Their defense is still good and stout, but can't win a lot of games when you lose your top quarterback and the best running back in football and Alvin Kamara. Best scorer, I should say, in football. In Alvin Kamara. I mean, I think it's pretty clear him, Derrick Henry, Al, and uh, Dalvin Cook, that three-headed monster. Um, I don't think that any other running backs kind of fit into the conversation of the top gun. Maybe McCaffrey, but he doesn't stay on the field long enough to be able to be in that conversation. Although, Alvin Kamara is quickly kind of joining that club, unfortunately. Unfortunately, Dalvin Cook is hurt. Unfortunately, Derrick Henry's hurt. Hey, they're all hurt. How about that? Week 13 will not feature any of the top running backs in football. Crazy thought. Everyone is out. Alvin Kamara is out tonight. Dalvin Cook got hurt last week. McCaffrey's out for the season again. Unfortunately, God be with him because I'd be really frustrated if I was him. Saquon Barkley, obviously, has missed a lot of time. But he's, I guess, healthy right now. Mentioned earlier that Chase Edmonds is hurt. Maybe the best running backs that are playing this weekend um, are in Indy and uh, with the Chargers. And Taylor and Eckler. I might be forgetting somebody, but I think those are probably the best two. Most certainly the first two that come to mind. uh, uh, And Mixon. Those are probably the best guys left. Although I will say, Fournette is really... um, Shaping into year one, year two, Jacksonville form, isn't he? For whatever reason, and he didn't take a lot of hits at LSU. He didn't play there long enough. But for whatever reason, it looked like he wasn't himself kind of towards the tail end there, which made him disposable. But man, I'll tell you, he has found a home in Tampa and he is really taking advantage and he fits into that system well. And he came off a four TD performance last week and really, really crushed it and thankful for him because he's on my fantasy team as well. <laughs> so selfishly, I am uh, happy that he did well. But that's where we're at with the running back situation in the National Football League. And By the way, I do not consider Ezekiel Elliott to be a uh, elite level running back anymore, but he has having a nice season. Got to give him credit. He should get to a thousand yards this year, which has always been kind of the barometer of uh, a separator between the the good, uh, the average, the good, and the great backs. Is how far north of a thousand you get to. He's at 720 right now. Um, there was some speculation that he wouldn't get a lot of carries tonight uh, to kind of save his body a little bit. Um, I don't know. I think Jerry Jones came back and said that that's a hogwash. We'll see about that. Uh, Other intriguing matchups this weekend. Maybe the best game on Sunday very well could be the Chargers and the Bengals. Six and five, seven and four, both in the thick of the race. Both teams that are young and emerging. I'm really excited for that matchup. In fact, I would say that one. And yeah, that's. Actually, to me, outside of the Monday night game, that's really the only good matchup this weekend. Week 13 is maybe the worst... Like qu- It's the least quality card of the season so far. Week 13. There's actually a lot of garbage matchups, to be honest with you. Which should make for fun viewing, by the way. Uh, definitely for fun wagering opportunities. But just in terms of intriguing games, I mean, you have the Bucks and the Falcons, yeah. Cardinals and the Bears, Vikings and Lions. Five wins between them. Winless Lions, under five hundred Vikings. The Giants and the Dolphins, four and seven, five and seven. Eagles and the Jets, Colts and the Titans. I guess Washington and the Raiders could be a good matchup. Kind of sounds like a boring matchup, but it's the closest to uh, 500 teams, at least, that I've, the, of all the games I've rattled off. Five and six against six and five. So they average out to a 500 <laughs> matchup. Jaguars and Rams, eh. Raven Steelers could be a good matchup. I guess that would be the other one. And then Niners and Seahawks. And then the Broncos and the Chiefs, I guess that would be number three. So in terms of, those are the only matchups of 500 teams. Literally, that's it. Chargers, Bengals being the premier one. Uh, Washington, uh, Raiders, Ravens, Steelers, Broncos, Chiefs. And then we get to Monday night. And Monday night game should be a pretty good game. Patriots and the Bills, Bills are slipping. Bills are kind of in that same club that the Rams are in, which is... Looked really good earlier, haven't looked good lately. What's going on with them? To me, it's obvious. I could tell you what's wrong with them. Bills have zero running game. They've gotten away with Allen being their top ground game player for a while now, Uh, but that always catches up to you. you. You can't survive for long in the National Football League doing that. It's kind of the same thing with the Ravens. Like at some point, you have to have legitimate. Ground threats. Otherwise, forget spying. You're just going to key in on that running quarterback. Like, you got to be able to throw the ball. You got to be able to run the ball. Unless you have a big bruising running back who can control the clock. But as a quarterback, yeah, I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it and win. Uh, But that's kind of what's happened with uh, Josh Allen. Now, granted, he could throw the ball for sure. He's got 3,000-plus yards, 25 touchdowns, having a great season, Uh, probably going to be a pro bowler, maybe even get some MVP votes. But Devin Singletary, Zach Moss. Now, how badly has Zach Moss fallen? This is how badly he's fallen. He wasn't even on the active roster last weekend. He was an inactive, healthy scratch. That's how little of a factor he's been. Unbelievable. So that leaves us with an open like an opening up the rail in horse races. You know, experienced jockey knows positioning and knows how to block the rail from a threat that's coming up the rail, knows how to slowly start moving his horse over to the left to make sure that your rival doesn't come through. And the Bills didn't do that. The Bills have left it wide open for a Patriots team who's now going on the road to match up with the Bills on Monday Night Football. The Bills going up against Bill Belichick whose team is 5-0 and on the road. The Patriots have not lost away from Foxborough. And they could put them away. Literally, if they win against the Bills, if they beat the Bills on Monday Night Football, they will hold, let's see here, a two-game lead with four left. Now let me ask you guys, do you think Bill Belichick gives up two-game leads with four to go? I don't think I've ever seen it happen. Maybe it has. Come at me. Let me know. Maybe I'm wrong. And by the way, of those four remaining, one of them is another matchup between the two. This is their first matchup. So when I say the Patriots literally could put themselves in a position to take command of the AFC East, you know they'd have four games to go with one head-to-head. That means the Patriots win one more game, and then they get the Bills, and they win that one, they're the division winners, just like that. Irrecoverable. They would have the sweep. They'd have that tiebreaker. It wouldn't matter what then what happens in the last two games of the season. They'd be irrelevant. Pats would clinch the division, just like that. I, I did not think that the Pats could clinch the division with weeks to go, in 2021. If any of, any of you out there did think so. Please let me know. Because it wasn't me. I wasn't in that camp. But it looks like it could happen. And so this very well could be. The uh, the game of the year. And the uh, definitely an NFC East. Probably one of the best Monday night. Um, from an intrigue perspective. Yeah I'm not saying the quality of play. Is going to be th- that great. Because the Patriots don't have a lot of explosive playmakers. But. Their young quarterback, Mac Jones, he was named Offensive Rookie of the Month. And their DB, JC Jackson, he was the Defensive Player of the Month. Defensive Player, not Rookie, Player of the Month. So this team has some playmakers. They just don't have a lot of names on their team so far. And, and you know how those emerge with b- big plays, big catches in the playoffs, rattling off a big run, ripping off a 55-yard touchdown run, maybe a last-second touchdown pass, then all of a sudden become a quote-unquote name player. But right now, they don't have that um, on either side of the ball for the most part. I bet you the casual fan, not very many can name a lot of Patriots players, but they're showing why they uh, are are belonging Uh, by getting some of these awards, by having players that are team players, they're winning games, they're stringing now win after win after win to put themselves in a good situation. So let's get back to Sunday, where we're talking about Monday. Let's talk about Sunday. Let's talk about some plays that I like for this week. And I'm going to start with the Bears. The Bears are having an ugly season. I didn't think they were going to have a good season. Cardinals are having a great season. Spent some time talking about them. But I like the Bears this week getting seven and a half at home. I think it's a lot of points. I think the Cardinals are going to be looking ahead. Because they've got some division matchups to close out the year. So I think they're going to maybe be sleeping on the Bears a little bit. And keep in mind, if they get a lead with Kyler Murray, I bet you they'll pull him early. So the Bears backdoor covenant. Cover is wide open for the taking. Next game I like. The Texans getting 10. Now their defense is playing a lot better. Tyrod Taylor is back in. He's He had a really nice game last week. Getting 10 points at home. I will take that all day long. All day long. And the last one is I'm going to take the Seahawks getting three at home. This, call it the the Russell Wilson play. And that'll be all my plays for the weekend. That's all the time we have. As always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening. Happy holidays to everyone. Have a tremendous sports weekend. We'll see you same time, same place next week.